Welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast. Abby here, and I'm so excited to introduce a new segment to the top of the podcast. I'll be sharing a quick update on what's going on in women's professional golf. I hope you'll tune in and we'll just see where this goes. So after coming off an amazing week at the AIG Women's Open with Sophia Popov's just amazing and emotional victory. We begin this week by capping off the LPGA's Walmart Northwest Arkansas Championship presented by PG. Austin Ernst won her second ever LPGA title after coming back from a four stroke deficit and won by two strokes over Anna Norquist. This brought her to number three in the race to the CME Globe, which is the season long points competition for LPGA players. This ranking decides who gets to play in the season ending CME Group Tour Championship. So to me, it basically tells me who is at the top of their game this season. Currently, number one in this ranking is Danielle Kang, who has had a stellar season with back-to-back victories in late July and early August in Ohio. The LPGA has a week off, and we will be back in action for the ANA Inspiration, the next major championship in women's golf, which begins September 10th. Okay, that is it for this week's Women Professional Golf Update. Today's interview is with Amanda Balionis. And if you aren't a regular viewer of PJ Tour events, um, Amanda is on CBS Sports, and she joined them in 2017 as a reporter for the network's golf coverage. She worked select tournaments and then joined the team full-time in 2018. And we'll kind of get into what her career looked like leading up to that point. She also serves as a sideline reporter for select NFL on CBS games and CBS Sports Network college football games. So we cover a wide range of topics in this conversation between men's golf, women's golf, football, um, just things going on in sports and everything in between. So I hope you guys really enjoy our conversation. All right. Well, thank you guys again for joining Ladies of Golf. I am I am so excited to welcome Amanda Balionis today. Um, but Amanda, I am going to be kicking off every new episode with a quick nine set of questions. Are you ready? Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So covering golf or football? Oh, don't make me choose between my favorite children. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one, watching golf or football. <laughs> oh, I would say watching football. Okay, yeah. your favorite golf outfit? Favorite golf outfit? Anything that involves a beanie. <laughs> nice, yes. Um, your favorite social media channel? Oh, Instagram. Yeah. The last book you read? Uh, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Great one. Last podcast <laughs> you listened to? Last podcast I listened to. Ooh, that's actually a good question. I think it's been a little bit since I listened to a podcast, but probably, ooh, why is that the toughest question someone's asked me in the last week? <laughs> it was, <laughs> It was, it was definitely something golf related. I can't even remember though the last podcast I listened to, which is terrible. I've been, I've been so into listening to books on audio tape mm. recently. So it's, it's, it kind of feels like a podcast to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't actually sat down and listened to a podcast in a while. Nope. That's good. <laughs> work. Um, so yeah. the last, maybe last show you binge watched? I just started, my boyfriend and I just started Yellowstone and I cannot 
get into it. I literally think I saw Shane Bacon raving about it and was like, okay, we're going to watch this. This sounds great. And then the opening scene, a horse, a horse dies. And oh. I was like, well, this is horrible. And of course, Bryn, my boyfriend is like, this is awesome. Cowboys and, and all of this stuff. So let's, so now we're locked into a show that I, I'm not super into, but here we are binging it anyway. <laughs> it is really hot right now. So I'll, I haven't watched it, but I, I am curious. Um, yeah. <laughs> do, you prefer, do you prefer the driving range or playing nine? Playing nine, a hundred percent. Okay. And the last one is, um, do you have a proudest moment of your career so far? Ooh, proudest moment of my career, probably working my first masters for sure. sure. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So, all right. Well, thank you for, for indulging me in those, but, um, of course, when did you learn how to play the game and, and what's kind of like your story with, with playing the game of golf? Yeah. I mean, golf is, runs deep in my family. My grandparents met on a golf course. I grew up only um, ever living on golf courses or with golf mm. courses within, um, you know, within sight because my dad was completely obsessed with the game. So I started playing, my parents probably put a club in my hand starting when I was like eight, I would wow. say. Yeah. Um, and, you know, th those are some of my youngest memories is going up to the putting green with my dad when I was, you know, little and watching him putt or going and playing in, you know, the bunkers while he would go practice his short game, stuff like that. And then I played um, junior golf, just like a little four holers league. And uh, I also really loved swimming. I swam competitively, um, you know, until I, until I fell in love with volleyball and then, and then did that. But uh, I remember they told me, okay, you're too old now to do the four holers. You have to move up to nine. And I said, well, do I have to carry my own bag or can I take a golf cart? And they said, you have to carry your own bag. And I said, I'm going to commit to the swim team now. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of the end of my junior golf career. Um, but, you know, I still took lessons and I still would go out and play with my parents, um, you know, on little four hole loops and stuff like that, which was great. So um, yeah, golf has always really been, it's, it's never been anything I could get deeply competitive in for whatever reason I really always migrated more towards team sports but it's always been something that's been really close to my heart in terms of connecting with my family and having fun and having a really um, disconnected way you know from technology to be with people I care about in a beautiful space so um, it's a little bit different than I think a lot of people in our industry um, and yeah. how they view golf but for me it's more of a place of connection when I play it. Um, and then obviously when I cover it though, I, I love watching the best do what they do. Yeah, I hope, I, and I hope something that, that you said we as like an industry tap into more often is like people keeping the game with them for a lifetime, even if they're not playing like competitively, but they're still mm. continuing to like take it in, play it and, and like have it in their heart versus, um, you know, focusing so much all the time on the competitive side. Yeah. And I think just, you know, even saying I was just, you know, at my mom's um, a couple weeks ago and we didn't have a ton of time, but we were like, you know, let's hop out in the car. We're going to bring the dog and we're going to go play, you know, the closest four hole loop that's around her house, you know, and that was wonderful to be able to go do. So I think sometimes it's not, it's making the game fit into your life rather than trying to fit into the parameters of what the, the really strict golf industry tells you, tells you the game has to be, you know, it doesn't have to be that you can make it whatever you want it to be.
Totally. Well, I do want to touch a little bit on, on your career, of course. So like you, you've worked your way up and you've paid your dues from interning in local news to, of course, joining the PGA Tour. What do you, like, you obviously, I, I would think, have built um, upon all of these experiences and, and what did they kind of teach you along the way? Yeah, I mean, I think that my biggest takeaway is especially in the broadcast industry, you got to be passionate about what you do. You have to really love television or you have to really love journalism. Um, you know, whatever, whatever media thing, you know, if it's radio, if it's writing it, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but you have to really love it because it's not going to be easy. Um, and you're not going to make a ton of money and you're not going to work normal hours and be home for holidays or be home for weekends. Like I can't tell you the last wedding I could actually go to, um, you know, and there was a lot of years where I was not home for Thanksgiving and, you know, or was working, you know, close to Christmas, you know, just it's stuff, things that normal, you know, jobs allow you to do. Um, mm -hmm. Broadcast television is, is not that. So you have to really love it. And if you do that and you work, out of a place of passion, I, I do really think you, you find your way and you end up where you're supposed to be, even though it's not the journey you might expect it to be. Like anyone talking to me in middle school, high school, in college, I, I knew my path. I was going to be an NFL yeah. sideline reporter and that was all I was going to do. Like that, that was it. And obviously that is not the way that my career turned out, but I really learned, okay, I can, if I'm passionate about sports in general, I have to be willing to follow the opportunities that are coming instead of being really stubborn in what I think my path should look like. And, you know, in, in a really full circle way, now I'm doing both, right? Now I, right. I fell in love with the game of golf in terms of covering it, which I never thought that would be a part of my story. Um, and now I can't imagine my life without it. And also I get the added advantage of now going back to my childhood dream of, of covering the NFL on the sidelines too. But it took over a decade to figure out what it looked like and, and how to get there. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I think the minute I kind of, the minute I kind of let go of trying to control it and just being in the passion of covering sports and whatever opportunities that came um, you know, jumping on those and not holding on tight to this idea that I had, that's when everything happened for me. Um, you know, and I think you know this, I was at the PJ tour for five years and I literally pretty much gave up. Like I was like, you know what? No one wants me. No one will even meet me for, you know, an interview to transfer from digital to television. Yeah. And then Callaway called me and said, well, do you want to come out here and work in marketing for us? And I said, <laughs> Hell yes. Work a Monday to Friday, nine to five job for the first time in my life in San Diego. A hundred percent. Let's do yeah. this. And then what <laughs> happens three, three months later, I'm, I'm on CBS full time. So the minute I literally let go of what I thought my path was supposed to be, it just pulled me right back in. Um, and I, and I got what I always dreamed of, but it's, it's never easy. It never looks like what you're supposed, you know, what you think it's going to look like. And that, that's been my biggest takeaway is what a wild ride it's been, but I have loved every single step of it. And I think you have to love it if you're going to push through the, the harder times. Yeah. And, and I would say like your passion totally comes through, um, whether it's with interviews or anything you're doing with, um, 
with other, with the, whether it's other sports or talking to other um, women in the industry, like it, it's very evident that you are, it's almost, it feels like you're like in that pinch me moment still um, of like, this is what I'm doing for a living, but I, and you're so passionate about it. So it's fun to see that come through. Yeah. I and mean, it's so freaking cool, right? Like right. you sit there and you're like, what? I get to sit here and watch golf, right? And watch the greatest stories unfold in front of me. And then I get to ask the people about those stories as they're unfolding. Like it's, it's unbelievable, right? It, I don't know. I just think if you really love sports in general, and that would be any sport, right? I think tomorrow CBS said to me, hey, listen, we're going to need you to learn um, how to cover lacrosse or mm-hmm. soccer or tech. Like I, it doesn't matter to me what the sport is. The stories are what I love about about you know any game it just I think it's it's such a place sports is such a place to inspire and unify and um just let people at home know that they're you know not to give up on your dreams or or to find like find a constant source of motivation and inspiration and that's what sports is no matter what you're talking about so yeah, I think it's the coolest job on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, like, what do you like most about covering football and golf? And, and I, it sounds like you're alluding to definitely like the storytelling element and, and sports. Yeah, I think for golf, it's definitely that um, mm-hmm. for me. Um, for football, I, t- football to me, I, you know, from Pittsburgh, grew up a diehard Steelers fan. Um, sure. The game itself, I think, just fascinates me so much because – as a female, we don't, we, we were not raised to play a sport like that. You know, it's so fast paced. It's so, I mean, there's just those wow moments constantly, you know, I mean, you're on the edge of your seat from the moment the game starts until it ends. Um, and I, I find, I, I just love the game and the strategy and, um, uh, you know, just so much about it, but yeah, I think I could watch a football game and I don't necessarily think about the individual players and their stories, even though those, those motivational mm. stories are certainly there in football. For golf, to me, that's more like the, man, okay, I don't, I'm just learning about Jim Herman. Why do I care about him? Well, let me tell you why you care about him, because he is literally like you. He is more like yeah. you than he is like, you know, like, he, like a Patrick Mahomes. Like, I think sometimes football players are harder – it's not maybe the most relatable sport, right? Like I don't, I think I, I love football. So I'm like, you guys are monsters. Like you are freaks of nature. You are athletically so gifted. Um, but golf is relatable. Like you look at these guys and you're like, you actually kind of look like my brother, my cousin, my dad. Um, you could be, you could be that guy out there. You could be that woman, right? So, I mean, you look at Sophia Popov, what she did. Why do we love that story so much? Well, we love it because that could have, we can relate to her. We can all relate to trying at something we love and failing and still believing in ourselves and all of a sudden accomplishing something you've dreamed of your entire life. In a matter of a week, she changed her own life, you know? And I think that, that to me is what makes golf so, so different from any other sport. It's not necessarily being so gifted that none of us can relate to it at home. Um, it, it just seems more relatable than that to me. And, and I think those are the stories that 
that we that we need to continue to tell and and honestly that have really shined through hard in, in 2020 which has been cool to see yeah yeah I, and i feel like it's nice that you know you you share those stories and then you know you're not just doing it on cbs but you're also doing it on on social and on twitter and i obviously wanted to talk a little bit about like maybe not what's the hardest part about being in the public eye, but like what is just a, something maybe you didn't expect about being in the public eye, what, and especially now in the age of, of social media? Yeah, um, yeah I think w what's, what surprised me is because I've been on social media for a long time. Like I actually yeah. use Twitter as a way to learn how to talk about, you know, I, I actually started it when I was covering the big east and i was covering okay. um the men's and women's uh tournament and back when the big east was the big east back for all the changes <laughs> right. and um and i literally started using it as a i was live tweeting the basketball games because i wanted mm. to learn how to talk about it um in a conversational quick concise way and it, twitter at that time was not nearly as brutal at least not for me because i didn't really have any followers so <laughs> you know sometimes people would correct me on things and you know, and I, and I, I really took that. And when I started working for pjtour.com and again, I was not super familiar with the men's game or, or the athletes that made up the PGA tour. And I used Twitter as a way to, again, learn how to talk about it um, in a quick, concise way and also mm. be able to have conversations with people on Twitter about it. So it was a very um, kind, accepting yeah. place when I first started. <laughs> and then I, you know, I think as time has gone on, I still am me, but obviously with now being with CBS, the audience starts to grow and yep. you, you are, if you make a mistake, people are going to be really quick to point that out. Um, and if you say something that other people don't agree with, people are going to be really quick to attack you. Um, and I've had to really learn like, who am I? And mm -hmm. I, what do I stand for? What do I want to stand for? And yeah. how, how do I be okay with not everybody liking me? Because I, I think mm -hmm. most people, when they get into television, we're all people pleasers, right? Like no one gets yeah. into television, I don't think, <laughs> or at least I didn't. I, I, I'm an only child, right? I, everything about me, a therapist would say, like, yes, you are a born people pleaser, right? Like you, <laughs> you want to make people happy. So when I open up my social media and people are telling me, you know, I'm garbage for whatever, whatever reason, my knee-jerk reaction is to really kind of like fold into myself and think, what did I do wrong? And I, it's, sure. it's had, it's taken me, especially in 2020, um, I, I've had to do a lot of self-reflection and say, why does this platform matter? I do have a platform now and what do I stand for and how do I want to use it? Um, yeah. And how much do I care if people are mad at me for being myself. And I, I think that's what social media has become. It's, it's become a great way to interact with people who love the same things you do. It's also a great place to learn and listen and speak up about things that are, are important to you, you know? And, you know, prior to this year, the things that I'm, I'm still very passionate about, right, are dogs and, and yeah. shelters and saving dogs and uh, raising awareness for canines for warriors and those things. But now in 2020, I'm also extremely passionate about talking about, you know, wear your mask, like protect, protect yeah. the people around you. I, I'm really passionate about talking and learning about, um, you know, racial injustice and how 
I've been part of the problem and how I can now be part of the solution and, you know, and what being anti-racist means. And, um, you know, I, I think with all of the issues that have really been, they've always been here, but all of the issues that have really been brought to the surface, I think this has been a year of learning how do you use your platform and are you tough enough to actually be able to use it in a way that that you believe in because i i think it's really easy right now to remain silent and go along yeah. with the status quo um which you know i i you got to kind of think like is that the, is that right for you or you know social media is just it's just taken on its own um, it, it's almost like another job, you know, right. like you, you really have to think about it now and, and what it means to you and why, why you want to be a part of the conversation and how you want to be a part of the conversation. So yeah, social media has turned into a whole nother animal, right? I, it, yeah. it just has, and, and it's so nuanced and there's so many layers to it. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, what it's, it's taught me more about myself and mm -hmm. being tougher and having thicker skin and realizing, okay, I'm not going to make everybody happy. So I, I better know who I am and what I stand for and show up as, as authentically as possible. So at least if people don't like me, they're not liking me for the right reasons. They're not liking me for, you know what I mean? For yeah. exactly who I am. And I'm more okay with that than I would be if I was trying to be something I wasn't and people weren't liking me in, in that way. Cause now all of a sudden that's very confusing for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You definitely can't post on social and then walk away. Um, and then I think what you said about like having thick skin and, and then understanding what you believe in, um, you know, that that's going to translate beyond social, fortunately for yeah. that'll, and you know, you can bring that to your everyday life, which is so valuable. hundred um, percent. So today we're talking, um, it is August 27th, and it is one day after a lot of the sports world hit pause. So the NBA, mm -hmm. WNBA, NBA, protesting police brutality and um, sports activism, which you know you brought up, has come a long way, despite people saying like, stay in your own lane or maybe disagreeing with you. What are your, mm -hmm. you've spoken on your own experience, but what are your, your thoughts on, on athletes and activism and where it can go? Yeah, I listen, I, I think sports is such an incredible platform, um, again, to unify sports is a place of community and connection, right? Like, mm -hmm. why do we all love sports? I, I think people love sports because they can go to a game and be around people they don't know. Um, but everyone has that common passion together, right? Even if you're cheering for the other team. Mm -hmm. um, I love there's there are a few things I love more than looking up when I'm at an NFL game into the stands, which unfortunately we won't be able to do this year, but looking up in the stands and seeing just thousands of people cheering and booing about <laughs> the same thing, you know, right. and high-fiving strangers. And you know, it's just like, it's so, there's just something so connective um, about sports. And I think that at some point you have to use that platform mm -hmm. to to really speak about the things that matter because there are things that are bigger than sports. And, and I, I understand that feeling of there is something really wrong going on in our country right now. And how can you step out and, and play a game while that's going on? You know, sure. I, I understand that it doesn't seem like one, one can happen. I, I, I don't know. It's, I, I guess I'm finding it hard to find the words right now, but I think it's, sure. 
it's, it's hard to, I think, probably be in a locker room and realize people uh, are being murdered because of the color of their skin and other people are telling you that it, that problem doesn't even exist and you're sitting in that locker room and it's something that you've dealt with your entire life and then you're just expected to walk, you know, get up, walk out and put a smile on your face and go play basketball right? Sure. Or go play sure. or go play football, whatever, whatever it is, you know, it's, it, I think those two things are just really, they're jarring. And mm -hmm. I think to be able to have the opportunity and the platform where people are going to listen yeah. um, or to hit pause and say, this is more important than a game. Um, why, why wouldn't you take that opportunity if you can influence change in that way? Um, you know, I just, I, I think that's kind of what we're learning is the influence of these athletes is so great. And they reach so many people in so many ways um, that I don't think anybody wants to not play. But right. I think, I think that's the point that, listen, this is more important. If this is what it's going to take for everybody to pay attention, then this is what we're going to do. And to me, this was a moment where I'm still learning, right? Like yeah. I'm still I'm still trying to educate myself and, and understand all of this. And I think it was a really great reminder that like, okay, this is not the time for me to be speaking. This is the time for me to be learning and reading everything I can and hearing why you feel like it's so important that you don't play, you know, mm -hmm. and, and stand with you and, and what that really means. Because I, I think it's, I think when this first, when Black Lives Matter and, and, you know, when George Floyd died, I think it was really easy for people to say, we stand with you and we're here for that uh -huh. moment. But unfortunately, because of social media, I think those, everyone kind of sees those moments as fleeting, right? Now it's like, right. okay, we're now on to the next thing. And I think this moment is a reminder that this is not fleeting. This is a problem that's existed for hundreds of years. And now it's not going to go away until we can acknowledge it and actually create change that stays. And right. if that's going to take, if that's going to take athletes and people that are in the spotlight right now, um, to, to pause what everybody loves watching them for, um, so that they can actually help create that change. I, I think that's absolutely their right to do that. And it's our job to really hit the pause button with them and, and listen and stand with them and say, you know, just let us, let us learn from you and why this and why this matters, you know, and, and uh -huh. I think, you know, the NBA is going to resume, but this moment in time, hopefully makes an, you know, makes an impact where the conversation does continue that we're not all just saying, okay, what's next? We did that. Check it off the list. Cause this is not, this isn't something that can be checked off the list. So I think athletes are taking ownership of their voices now to make sure that they're not part of, you know, that problem of just letting things go after saying it one time or, you know, whatever it is. Right, right. And and hopefully, you know, the athletes are then influencing the front office and the front office is, you know, making the changes then in their industry and beyond because, because yeah, I mean, you know, athletes are, are the, fortunately, the, the loudest piece of the puzzle, um, because they are mm -hmm. known, but hopefully they, um, I'm hopeful that, you know, the, the board members and the front office of those teams and of those leagues are, are really paying attention and understanding um, what's going on. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why they did what they did, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't pause in the playoffs and not have every single person 
in that mm-hmm. front office and, and the trickle down effect occur. It just, right. it forces that to happen. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's such a polarizing, which is crazy to me that this is so polarizing, um, mm-hmm. but it's such a polarizing topic that, you know, that doesn't mean that you be quiet and move on and continue on with your day to day because that changes nothing. Right. I think we all have to get okay with being uncomfortable and just saying, okay, let's hit the pause. And this is going to affect a lot of people. Um, and how, how, why does this matter so much and how do we continue this conversation? Because this is, it's that important to you that we stop in the middle Mm -hmm. of of, of a series and let's, let's talk about it. So um, yeah, I think what they're doing is it's powerful, right? Yeah. And it's it's forcing it's forcing change. It's not just alluding to it anymore. Sure, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think you know there there are certain golfers. You know, we saw Cameron Champ using his platform to honor Jacob Blake today, and and Kirk Triplett with his um, Black Lives Black Lives Matter on his golf bag. So mm-hmm. um, I think you know they're doing what feels right to them in their heart. So I think I think that's wonderful for them and. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just, I, I'm kind of in the same position as you. I'm like listening and learning and trying to just see, um, you know, how I can be a better ally moving forward. But yeah, going back to golf, you have been in the industry for, for some time now, but women's professional golf, um, to me is having kind of a, a nice moment. Um, we were also enthralled with Sophia Popov's victory <laughs> and, and, and you work a lot in men's golf, but you know, you did support and and you were part of the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Um, and I'm just curious what you notice or see in women's golf that we should all be kind of gravitating toward. Yeah, I mean, I watched um, so much of the Women's Open, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the when last week. And I think to me, what we should be talking about more Mm-hmm. is i mean th- these this these women's their game is insane right, right. like sophia popov hits driver off the deck and like everyone's jaw hits the floor and it's like <laughs> wait women can do that too and right. i think that you know as a as a woman i think we know that but i can't tell you how many men sure. were messaging me saying i had no idea how how fun this women the women's game could yeah. be to watch mm-hmm. and one i'm like you know what that's thank you for admitting that one. Thank you for tuning in and giving it a chance. And two, thank you for just being honest about that. There's no shame in saying I wasn't aware and now, you know, creating change moving forward. But, um, I think what I've noticed is just the, how differently I think it's covered. And I'm not sure, you know, I think I'm in this microcosm of the men's game, right? So the people I, the people I follow, the yeah. writers I read, um, mm-hmm. just the news that I take in, it is all men's focus. So yeah. I, I, but when I was kind of like Googling and researching the women's open and trying to find stories and understand certain things about certain women, it was kind of hard for me to find certain it information. Is. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's fascinating because yeah. if this story, if the Sophia Popov story or Lindsay Weaver uh, caddy, you know, carrying her own bag and not having a caddy. Yeah. If, if those things were happening on the PGA tour, it would be ad nauseum, right? right. Like, <laughs> there would be, there would be 75 stories, 3,700 <laughs> tweets. Like it, you literally would be knocked over the head with it. Right. And I felt like I had to really search and ask questions on, on social media and be like, 
can someone explain this to me? Because I can't really find it in a clear way. Um, yeah. And so I feel like there are people obviously writing great stories, but it's it's just not at the uh, volume that I think mm -hmm. we're used to seeing the men's game covered at. And I, I, listen, I know that's not an easy fix, but to me, just the things that are so fascinating about the men's game and those stories, the mm -hmm. women have the same exact stories, right? And it's still yeah. the same exact type of inspirational, motivational stories. So like, how do we start to tell those stories a little bit more? Maybe how do we slate to me, what I would like to see, and, and it really sparked in me when I saw the men um, on the NBA yeah. um, promoting the mm -hmm. WNBA, right? Like you see LeBron walking out in the orange hoodie, right? In the orange WNBA hoodie. And Tony Finau started to tweet about it and stuff, but I, right. I really would love to see our PGA. Oh God, what is that? <laughs> what is that? Sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> um, I think we're safe in here though. Um, but yeah, so I would love to see the PGA Tour players prop up the women as mm -hmm. much, um, you know, as, as much as we're starting to see the NBA players do that. And what's interesting too is a lot of these, a lot of the PGA Tour players and LPGA Tour players live in the same place, right? right. A lot of these, they live in Jupiter. They live right. in Vegas. They live, you know, in the same places. They play together. They learn mm -hmm. from each other. So I'm like, how do we get this promotion, this cross promotion to happen? Because I can tell you right now, if Ricky Fowler or Justin Thomas or any of those guys that I know go and play with Jessica Corder, with Nelly Corda. Sure. Um, you know, we see it on social media. If those guys were outspoken about watching the LPGA tournaments and stuff like that, you know we would see, I, I think we would see bigger interest because right. those guys are so influential. Um, and I'm not like, I'm not calling them out saying, you know, why, shaking my fist, why aren't you guys doing that? But right. um, I think that that's something that I've seen that I'm like, wow, that's probably a, that might be a relatively easy fix, you know, for if we can get the PGA Tour players who have a voice um, to to really prop up their their female counterparts who are just as impressive as they are, um, mm -hmm. and how to and how we do that and how we find the platforms to do that or you know find the tournaments where they right. can be out there together showcasing these things. So I, I think, you know, what I've noticed about the women's game is these women are just as badass as the men are. Um, I just think we need to do a better job of, of promoting them in the same way that we prop up the, the men. So how do how we do that? There's no one easy answer, but I think we could definitely look to that NBA, WNBA model and say we, we could learn a couple of things. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely connecting the dots um, because like you said, a lot of it's already there and it's just making it easy kind of for everybody. I think mm -hmm. really like fun example of that was the 2014 U.S. Open and U.S. Women's Open when they were back to back because, yes. you know, yep. it, they're on the same turf, you know, they're sharing yardage books. Michelle's using, sure. you know, using somebody's yardage book. And um, I think like I, if there's more ways we can connect the dots like that, that's great. Um, and, and it's only going to benefit really everyone. I, I read something Beth Ann Nichols wrote in Golf Week, and she was like, you know, when women rise, we all rise in this game. So obviously we can, we can all benefit from it. And uh, 
Uh, yeah, I'm hopeful. I mean, I, I you know, I, I do put some responsibility on myself, especially working at the USGA, just being like, how can I connect these dots? Like, my gosh, <laughs> just shouldn't be this right. No, <laughs> I, I, I know. And, and honestly, it's, it's funny, because I think that's why the Augusta National Women's Amateur was caught fire. So, quickly, sure. you know, in its first year is because First of all, it's Augusta and everybody, mm -hmm. nobody can get enough of watching Augusta National on television, right? Because you right. usually only get it for one week a year. So to, to put it on um, for one more day, you know, people were automatically going to tune in for that. But then to see Jennifer Cupcho do what she did on that golf course and people are like, holy cow, like, <laughs> you know, like, I'm sorry, she did what? So right. I, I think they, it, it became all of a sudden, people understood what she had just accomplished and how she had done that because people respected that golf course so much because of seeing the men do what they do on it. Right. So, um, yeah, you're right. The, the women, the U S open and the women's open being back to back, all of a sudden relatable, um, right. people understand it more uh, about what they're able to do. And, and Augusta national was, they just, they hit the nail on the head um, with the way that they were able to kind of tee it up. I think when you have it before too, um, mm -hmm. you know, people weren't, people aren't sick of it yet. Right. It's like all this, like, why not have the women tee it up somewhere before the men and, and people kind of look, get a little preview and maybe that would make it more enticing for people, um, to watch or I, I there's just, there's so many different ways I right. think to do it, but I, I do think that's why the Augusta national women's amateur are just, um, found so much success so quickly because it was so obvious what mm -hmm. the talent level was on a golf course that people would would kill to to ever be able to see in person, let alone play on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have taken up a lot of your time, but one more question I have for you, which we ask everyone, is what advice do you have for women who want to pick up the game of golf? Yeah, I mean, don't be intimidated. Um, <laughs> go find a, a public golf course. Don't like, I, I play with one of my best friends, Jen, and she's so new at the game. And it yeah. is so much fun to go out with her. And if she whiffs, it doesn't matter. We're like, okay, that was a practice swing. Just sure. take another one. And, you know, and maybe we only play seven holes, whatever it is. But like, go out, find a public course where it doesn't matter what you wear, wear whatever the, you know, wear whatever you want. Go, sure. maybe you bring some cocktails, maybe you bring a speaker, um, and don't put any expectations on yourself other than to have fun, you know, and you'll learn the etiquette of the game later, but if you really want to get into it, like, I really would encourage you go find a public muni where it's not going to cost you a ton of money. You can rent a set of clubs mm -hmm. and just, just go have fun with it. And if you do like it, now all of a sudden you can start to look for, you know, a, a teacher or get some like fundamental lessons. But um, yeah, my advice is don't be intimidated kind of own it that you're a beginner and just go out and have fun and, and make it manageable for you. Don't feel like you have to go out and play 18 holes because truth be told, I lose pretty much my attention span after 12. So like oh, for, for me, sure. 12 holes, right? 12 holes is perfect. Sweet so spot. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't, don't feel like you have to, fit into a certain box. Um, mm -hmm. Just go and do what's right for you and, and own the fact that you're a beginner and people will be accepting. And if they're not, then go find another public golf course because <laughs> it's, no it's problem. their problem. It's not <laughs> yeah. yours. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, well, thank you so much for the time today and, you know, listening and, and answering my questions. I really appreciate it.
Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For The Ladies, visit us at fortheladies.net and on Instagram at fortheladies. That's F-O-R-E. Thank you.